What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to The Brink, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. When last we left our intrepid heroes, they were facing events that might spell certain doom. People were starting to predict the beginning of the end for comic books, and movies this far had been a bust, and it looked like Marvel's days might come to an end. But they adapted to the supercharged world around them, taking a heroic leap into the film industry. Will it be enough to save our heroes? Find out in the thrilling conclusion of Marvel On the Brink. Hey, I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Ariel Kasten. So, full disclosure, we're doing this as if we decided to do a two-parter on Marvel. But in reality, we recorded a super long episode on Marvel. Yeah. And it was way too long for a single episode. But it was all important because comic books and Marvel and DC have had a roller coaster of a ride. Yeah, they've gone from being this really obscure type of art form that people were ashamed to even admit that they enjoyed. The ones who loved it unabashedly were looked on as outcasts. And now they're mainstream, baby. Mm -hmm. But we're going to talk about how that all happened in this episode. Yeah, so let's look at where we left off. Marvel had just been sold to a company. So what happens next? So next, in 1989, New World Pictures, which had bought Marvel, had suffered three years of losses after buying Marvel, and so they sold again to McAndrews and Forbes Group. (laughs) So so we went from Marvel getting sold to Marvel getting sold. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, just three years later. Now, McAndrews and Forbes was owned largely by Ronald Perelman, not 
Ron Perlman. No. Just, War just never to be changes, clear. but Ronald Perlman is a different person. Yeah, uh, he was a multimillionaire investor. He also owned Revlon as a part of McAndrews and Forbes, and he bought Marvel for $82.5 million. So whereas New World had bought it for $46 million, they were able to sell it for $82.5 million. So, mm-hmm. so it's not, we're not, not seeing a reversal in fortune bad. yet. Yeah. Yeah, so then uh, Perlman decides that he wants to turn Marvel into a publicly traded company, not a privately owned one, so... They start selling stocks. And I think um, about 40% of the company. Yeah. And it was the the more you read about Perelman and his business proceedings, the more you figure some of this seems pretty questionable. He wanted people to invest. He wanted people to think they were in control, but he didn't want to lose control. Yeah, that would become a big problem. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too. Yes. So we start seeing. Interesting moves here. One of the other things that Perelman would do is he bought some stock in a different company mm-hmm. called Toy Biz. And uh, he also didn't hold on to all of the properties that Marvel had. He sold some of those off, including Marvel Productions, mm-hmm. the, the animation studio. He sold the back catalog for Marvel Productions to another company. To Saban, who was then later bought by Disney, who then later bought Marvel. So, you know, circle of life. Yeah, reunited. It feels so good. Yeah, but they closed the animation studio— and decided to outsource their cartoons mm-hmm. instead of making them in. And then in 92, Perlman also acquired Fleer and I believe also Skybox and Panini uh, card companies. I know at least Fleer. I know they also distributed cards through Skybox and Panini, but I don't know if it was the same year. That's Those details are a little bit fluid. Yeah. And they, they bought it to distribute Marvel trading cards of which my husband owns a lot, (laughs) a lot of Marvel trading cards. In 93, they started up uh, Marvel Films, uh, but this was also right at the beginning of another major dip in Mm -hmm. comic book sales. It was an industry slump. This was a real problem. So Perelman had sold the company, not literally, but he had sold the the idea of the company to shareholders mm-hmm. with this promise for a, an incredible return on their investment. Yeah. He was able to do that in a way that was a little questionable. So what he essentially did was he started creating a bunch of special edition type comic books. Mm-hmm. And he was essentially selling the same title of comic book multiple times to the same people mm-hmm. by creating different collector's editions. And because... Older comic books had become incredibly valuable. They were collector's items now. The idea was, hey, if you buy these comic books because these are limited runs or collector's editions, in a few years, they're going to be worth way more than what they're worth right now. Which meant he could also up the prices on the comics now in hopes for a better return on investment later. Yeah, so what he's doing is he's he's telling the collector's I bet you all wish you had an issue of Action Comics number one with Superman mm-hmm. holding the car over his head mm-hmm. because you would all be, you know, multimillionaires if you just had those old comics. Well, here's your chance to get in on the ground floor, buy all these comics, and in a few years you can sell them off for a huge profit. So that's how he that's how he's selling it to the customers. And that in turn is what's driving the investors' interest and the fact that he's telling them. We're going to just keep doing this. We're going to make this bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger. You guys are going to make huge amounts of money on your investment, so make sure you buy more stocks. And then he doubles down because he bought share in Toy Biz. He has them start 
selling action figures of these characters that people are collecting. So now you've got the collector comics and you've got the collectible action figures. Yeah, and it's interesting because right around the same time, Neil Gaiman, the famed author who would end up actually being, he's also a comic book writer. He's written on several comic books, including like Sandman Mm -hmm. and some of the Marvel comics as well. He actually talked to some retailers and he said, this is a bubble, Mm-hmm. That you're, you know, you're inflating a bubble and eventually this is going to burst. It's not sustainable. It's like the tulip craze from the 17th century. Yeah. And he says, those tulips, people were speculating in them and buying up more and more tulips. And it just was a craze. This is a true story. This really did happen. And that ultimately when the market crashed, you had people who had warehouses full of tulips that just would rot away because no one wanted them anymore. It, it was Everyone thought everyone was going to want them, and that's what led to the yeah. buying. He said the same thing's going to happen with comic books. And this was in 1993. As it turns out, he was spot on the money. It would take a few mm-hmm. years for that to really come to fruition. But he was he was absolutely right. Yeah, but, you know, you start to see that turn in 93. Marvel starts trying to gain some other markets. So they start lessing out their characters around this time. Yeah. They also, uh, well, a movie company made... A Fantastic Four film. Yes. But it didn't get released. It was produced by Roger Corman. It was an amazing movie. I actually really, unironically, genuinely love this unreleased Fantastic Four movie. You can find bootlegs of it's, it. I'm sure it's even on YouTube at this point. You know, I don't know. I watched it on an old VHS a I got few it off, years back. I got it off a bootleg DVD. And yeah. uh, it's it's like the 1960 Batman TV show meets... The Music Man meets Days of Our Lives. It's fantastic. It's, it's very, it's definitely very low budget, but I feel like they nailed the spirit of the comic yes. book. Whereas yes. I would argue the later Fantastic Four films failed to do that. I, in my personal opinion, it is the best Fantastic Four movie there has been. I, I agree. To date. Yeah. Now we're now our listeners are going to go and seek this out and watch it, and they're going to think, "Why are you thinking? These effects are <laughs> we're terrible." Lose all credibility. Yeah. In '94, they buy Heroes World as a distributor for their exclusive use. Yep. By 95, they were really starting to feel a crunch. They were they owed a lot of money to mm-hmm. a lot of different companies. I mean, they owed $1.7 to Disney. Yeah. And by 96, this would mean that the company, in order to remain a company, was going to have to make some major cutbacks. And that included laying off a third of the people working for the company. Yeah, that's about 115 people, which... Doesn't seem huge, but it is a third of the company. Yeah. So then we get into a corporate battle in Marvel. Mm-hmm. This is this is like the corporate version of a massive slugfest in a yeah. Marvel comic book. I would say Perelman buying Marvel was the start of their brink, but this is the true brink moment. Yeah. The, so he sees the need to restructure the company in order to make it profitable. Mm-hmm. But he's made all these promises to stockholders that, and the stockholders are a little irritated, more than a little irritated, yeah. that things have not gone as planned. So it would become kind of a battle between him and another major shareholder, someone that we talk about occasionally on this show because he's had his hand in numerous major corporate upheavals, and that would be Carl Icahn. Yeah. Carl Icahn owned a significant number of shares of Marvel, and so they often call him an activist investor Mm -hmm. because he uses his shares to influence the actual inner workings of corporations. So you you had kind of a power struggle between Perelman and Icahn, and you meanwhile also had other entities involved, not just Marvel, but Toy Biz, because... 
Perelman wanted to get even more control of Toy yeah, Biz. Yeah, he wanted to buy up the remaining, like, he he wanted to buy outright Toy Biz. Yeah. So, everything he, that he didn't currently own in them. And he was thinking of merging Marvel and Toy Biz together in order to make Marvel a more sustainable, uh, stable company. Yeah, but then he wanted to keep, like, most of that stock for himself. Like, he wanted to fund the buy so that he was, like, more of a majority owner, like 80%, yeah. despite the fact that he was a public group. And then just leave the old stock to the shareholders, and that threatened the value of their stocks. Yeah, to the point where they saw a massive drop in stock price. Mm-hmm. And by massive drop, I mean nearly $36 per share down to less than $2.50 per share. That's a that's a monumental drop. Yeah. And so and so they said, no, no, Pearl Man, we don't, we're not gonna, we're not going to agree to this. And he said, fine. I'm going to file for Chapter 11, and then I don't need your permission. Yep, which is exactly what he did. He he filed for bankruptcy protection, and they underwent another restructuring plan Mm -hmm. and secured funding from the the Andrews Group, which is an investment firm. Yep, $365 million. Yep, and uh, this would allow them to help pay off creditors and to— continue working on making the business profitable. Yeah. They figured they would be out of bankruptcy by the middle of 1997. They knew that to keep Marvel on track, they just needed to resolve all their issues as fast as possible because the market is ever-changing and you don't want to have to play more catch-up than you have to. Yeah. And so this leads up to 97 where you have the kind of the massive conclusion between the Icon and Perelman fight Mm -hmm. because that was still going during this whole process. Yeah. So they're both struggling for control of the company. So who wins? Neither of them. Womp womp. Yeah, Toy Biz wins. Yeah. Toy Biz, owned by Isaac Perlmutter and Avi Arad mainly, got the ownership. They booted Perelman. They booted Icon. They booted the CEO of Marvel at the time, Scott Sassa. Who had only been in that position for eight months. Yeah, I feel like he kind of got largely caught in the crossfire. Yeah, I think, I think he was in a really bad, tough position. Like, just yeah. you can't really blame Marvel's struggles on the CEO at that time. He, he didn't even really have the time to get a handle on yeah. things. And they named Joseph Calamari the new CEO of Marvel. That's such a great name. Yeah. And so uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, Arad and Perlmutter had both been on the board of directors for Marvel already mm-hmm. because of the these previous business dealings between Toy Biz and Marvel. Yeah. And this would be the mark of what would allow Marvel to return from the brink. Yeah. This is this is truly the turning point is this change in leadership where the two superheroes who were slugging it out. Like this is when Captain America and Iron Man are both fighting each other. In the Civil War. Yeah, and and it turns out they knock each other out and Squirrel Girl comes up and she takes well, I over. Mean, she is the most powerful character she is in the Marvel Universe. It is true. She can take on Galactus. But that, again, that's a tangent. And you know yes. what? We're going to talk about how this new leadership was able to rescue Marvel. Mm -hmm. We have more to say about Marvel, but first let's take a quick break. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. 
OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. All right, so it took a little longer than Marvel wanted, but by 1998, they were back out of bankruptcy, still struggling, but in a better position than they were in. Mm -hmm. They started expanding their offerings beyond comic books so that the next comic book slump wouldn't hit them as hard. Right. So that if it turns out that these are cyclical, like let's say that's every generation, there's a Mm -hmm. high point and a low point, that those low points don't wipe out the business. Yeah. And, you know, we said that Perlmutter and Arad had been on the board before. Joseph Calimari had a hand in running Marvel prior to being named the CEO in 97. So much like staying with people who had helped make the company successful in the past, they decided that they really needed to stay true to the core concepts of Marvel, Mm -hmm. the, the heroes and the ideals that made them successful in the first place. Taking these and moving them into the modern marketplace is what would make them successful. It's not new characters. Right. It's not like taking your most iconic character and making that iconic character a dark anti-hero when that iconic character had been such a glowing bastion of goodness up to that point, Superman. Uh, I mean, you've, you've got evil versions of Superman, like Bizarro. But, yeah, but that's, um, that's, you already have them. All right. <laughs> yeah, but, they, but they also had some ideas that were not so great. They thought they were going to make some, well, they did make some themed restaurants and video games <laughs> yeah. and trading card initiatives. And like the restaurant, Marvel Mania was only around for about a year or so. Yeah. And the other ones were so-so. Marvel video games are hit or miss. Like, I like them. Yeah, well, but some of them are good. Like some of the more recent, like the most recent Spider-Man game is one of the best games ever. I but haven't played it yet. It's a great one, PS4 game. The uh, But they also were responding to changes in technology, right? Mm-hmm. You started to see them embrace the concept of digital comics and they start creating apps and making yeah. their titles available for digital download, which appealed to people who wanted the comics for the stories, but they weren't necessarily interested in actually collecting physical comic books and then storing them and all that kind of stuff. Well, and they also worked to expand their characters more into the cinematic universe. Mm -hmm. Instead of just licensing out their characters for a movie here or a movie there, 
they started just selling the rights to their characters outright to studios. Yeah, this is what has led to what a lot of people are upset about today is that they don't all belong to Marvel Cinematic or Marvel Studios. Well, it's, it's because, uh, and Avi Arad kind of oversaw this, they would try to write a movie and sell it to a studio, but when a studio is looking at a ton of movies at a time, it's hard to get yours yeah. seen, especially if yours is a superhero movie when previous superhero movies have been... A questionable quality. I mean, yeah. apart from things like, say, the Tim Burton Batman films or the uh, the 1978 Superman film. Yeah. Yeah. There, there were a lot of failures. Like that Captain America movie. Anyhow. Salinger's Kid. Yeah, it's, right. it's not great. They sold some of their, I would say, most profitable characters at that time. Oh, so sure. Spider-Man to Sony, X-Men to Fox. Now, they also sold Daredevil to Fox, which was a, a Golden Age hero, but not as popular in the public eye. And they also sold Blade to New Line Cinemas. Mm-hmm. And this is important because when these companies did make these movies with these characters, they were successful. Mm-hmm. Blade made $70 million. And because Marvel had kind of sold the right, and they only got a little bit of the profits from licensing out the rights, they got about 25000 of that. Yeah. So while it was a profitable move, it wasn't raking in huge amounts of money. Yeah. Meanwhile, they were still raking in some licensing profits from their other efforts, yeah. like through toys and... And, and merchandise. Yeah. And then in 2003, we get a huge change that would put Marvel in prime position. And that was when David Maisel would go to Arad and Perlmutter and say, you know what you guys need to do? You need to make your own movie studio. You need to make your own movies. Don't license your characters to these other movie companies. Keep all your profits. Yeah. If you do all the work, you get to keep all the monies. You just got to make sure your movies are good. That's all you got to do. It's easy. Yep. Two years later, the the Marvel board approved that plan. Yep. And they got a loan from Merrill Lynch. Yeah, a a small loan of half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars for a seven-year span. But to get it, they had to put up for collateral 10 of their characters and properties. So Captain America, the Avengers, Nick Fury, Black Panther, Ant-Man, Cloak and Dagger, Doctor Strange, Hawkeye. The Power Pack. Who I don't—I'm not familiar with. And Shang-Chi. Which meant that if this movie push was not successful— If they could not pay back that loan. Yeah. Then they wouldn't have the rights to any of their most popular characters. Yeah, the bank would own them. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. But first, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. So um, they knew they couldn't go out and launch a film with the Mm X-Men or with Spider-Man. They did not hold those movie rights. So they were limited in which characters they could put forward. So they had Mm -hmm. to start making tough decisions about what what was going to be their first attempt. Now, hilariously, they settled on Iron Man Mm -hmm. because he had been popular to comic viewers and they figured they could adjust him and make him popular to the general public as well. But if you listened to the list of the characters that were collateral, Iron Man wasn't in that list. Yeah. He was licensed to New Line Cinema and then their option on him ran out two months after the bank deal closed. And Marvel said, oh, we're going to do a movie on Iron Man. This is great. He's a golden age hero. He's he's popular with our readers. But because he wasn't a part of their, their deal, they had to fund that movie themselves. So they start working on that. And at the same time, they really concentrate on getting into the digital comics in a mm-hmm. big way in 2007. And the Iron Man project, as you may be aware, was successful. It was. It ended up bringing in $585 million at the box office. Now, granted, that's that's revenue, not necessarily profit, but $585 million, and they took out a loan for $525 million. Yeah. So with one movie, Pretty they good. proved that they could at least get a revenue that was equal to the loan that they had secured. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Feige would become the president of production for Marvel. Now, he had been the producer for several Marvel films, not just Marvel cinema films or Marvel studio films. Mm-hmm. He was the producer on Fox's X-Men. He was the producer on Sony's Spider-Man. Which are both great movies. They are. And he was also the producer for the Marvel Studios film Iron Man. And once that was such a monumental success, Marvel said, we should put this guy in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. And that is what set the stage for Marvel to get eyed by the Mouse House. Yes, in 2009, Disney bought Marvel for $4 billion. You're probably familiar with that. It made a lot of news. Yeah, it was like the estimates tend to go between $4 billion and $4.3 billion. It all yes. depends on how you measure it. But either way, everyone thought, this is a company that sold for $82.5 million a couple of decades earlier that was in bankruptcy a decade earlier yeah, and now is being bought by Disney, the global powerhouse of a company, for $4 billion. Yes, and beyond that, Disney has the power to try to get back some of those iconic characters that Marvel didn't have rights to. So they made a deal with Sony in 2015 to share Spider-Man between studios. Yep. And man, I love it. Oh yeah, no, that that Spider-Man: Homecoming is is a it's great fantastic. movie. Yeah, it's fantastic. And in 2018, last year, as of recording this episode, Disney bought Fox for 71.3 billion dollars, mm-hmm. which is opening up discussions to X-Men crossovers. Yeah, bringing X-Men under the Marvel Studios yeah. umbrella. So the the great story here, I think, is that this comic book company took a huge risk in following the advice of Maisel and Mm -hmm. creating a movie studio of its own 
when that was not its business before no. and yet was able to leverage that. But one, partly because, I mean, they knew those characters. Mm-hmm. They knew what resonated with fans. And they were able to take those traits that resonate with fans and then to adapt them. Because they, any comic book fan will tell you the movie versions are not exactly the same as the comic book versions. Yeah. But most of those changes were made in an effort to appeal to a mainstream audience that isn't familiar with Mm -hmm. these characters backward and forward. And I think for the most part, it works. I do too. So an enormous success. And this year is a special year for Marvel. Yep. This year, 2019, Marvel is hitting its 80th anniversary. They've got a whole bunch of really big plans to celebrate it, reimagining characters, doing stuff on social media, including a bi-weekly animated series called Today in Marvel History, a bunch of stuff over all of their venues. You can go to marvel.com to learn about it, specifically marvel.com slash marvel80, or you can look for hashtag marvel80 because there's a ton of big stuff yeah, that they're doing. And while, while the company has definitely more than bounced back, especially now that it's part of Disney, that's not to say that every decision that has been made has been met with universal approval. And Mm -hmm. some of the decisions which I really like, a lot of the hardcore traditional fans have reacted poorly to things like Iron Man and the the rise of Iron Man's protege. Yes. Or Miles Morales taking on the role Mm -hmm. of Spider-Man or Thor becoming a woman. Like there there are a lot of different things that actually I think are great changes for the overall storyline. And especially when it comes to representation and diversity. But Fans get fickle, especially like the hardcore ones who resist any change. Like they, yeah. they, it's so weird because on the one part, they want exciting new stories. On the other part, if you go away from anything they think of as being important to the character, then you are betraying them. Oh, it's, yeah. It's Captain dangerous. America becoming a part of Hydra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that, all right. We're not going to go into that <laughs> storyline. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's another, another story. episode. Yeah, yeah. That's another episode. So, the company is doing quite well, at least cinematically. We've seen some other changes recently, like there were several Marvel properties that were Netflix series that mm-hmm. have recently been canceled. And while that hasn't been necessarily divulged publicly, the general speculation is that these are properties that will probably resurface on Disney's own streaming service once it launches. Gosh, I hope so. The conflict there is that Netflix would own the old seasons of it and yeah. Disney would own the new. And so these competitors would then have to kind of work together. So we'll see how that turns out and maybe we'll cover it in a future episode. Yep. But uh, this was a, a fun one for us to look at because mm-hmm. it's, again, hard to imagine when you're living in a world where you know Marvel is is running so crazy popular at the box office. It's just every every year you're hearing about another billion dollar film like Black yeah. Panther or Avengers Infinity War. We got Avengers Endgame. Yeah, um, you know you hear about those things, and it's hard to imagine that this was a company that again just a couple decades ago could have gone out of business. But I think by staying true to the stuff they had created, by being flexible to try and get their content to people in the different ways that people want to access Mm -hmm. it, they were able to turn all that around. That, I think, is a valuable lesson for lots of people, that you cannot get so married to a specific way of doing business, nor can you 
drift too far from your core values without endangering the entire business. And Marvel, I think, is proof of that. Yeah, I'd, I would agree. Well, that was fun, and uh, I look forward to revisiting this, and maybe we'll do an episode about DC, and I can mm-hmm. go on a rant about the movies, and oh, Ariel, can, Ariel can leave the room for oh, a good 35 minutes. This, this was a long episode. That one will be forever. Yeah, but uh, we'll touch on that in a different time. If you guys have any suggestions, where can they reach out to us, Ariel? Well, they can reach out to us at feedback at thebrinkpodcast.show. Yep. And you can check out the brinkpodcast.show website that has all of our episodes on it, a little bit more about us if you want to learn more about what makes us tick. And we look forward to talking to you again. I have been Jonathan Strickland. And I have been Ariel Kasten. Excelsior. The Brink is a production of iHeartRadio and How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.